Thank you so much, Pastor Kenneth, for leading us, and thank you, Mr. Goh, for leading us in song. Always the same person. <laughs> but those of you just tune in, we welcome you, and those who have just come, can you give yourself a big hand of encouragement <laughs> for being the pioneers of this, the catalyst in this, and it brings great encouragement. I wish I could see you full face, smiling, right? But uh, for now, we can't do so. And if we fail to recognize you behind that mask because you've put on too much weight or lost too much weight, please forgive us. We are trying to recognize your eyebrows as much as we can. And so, welcome back on site, online. There's something to say in terms of how it, it goes. It's now 5.40 as we do this and important that we get, get this correct here on um, Saturday evening. Online, I look at the camera there. When I look at the camera there, I may look very insensitive and unloving to you. Then ever so often for people online, I will take my eye off the camera and look left and look right. Is that okay? So I'll try to toggle between the two audiences, the online and on-site. And so with all this, our pastors and preachers, we have to go through some training because it's quite different. Because sometimes they see us, hey, why you turn left, turn right? The camera's in front. Lah. <laughs> it's not easy. Right? So bear with us. Thank you so much. The theme for this series is God's unchanging church in a changing world. And it's kicked off by the Equip Conference Identity and Sexuality. And so we ask ourselves, what has changed in this world? A lot has changed. You are here with masks. You are here having been vaccinated. A lot has changed. You can't go out in groups more than five. Everything has changed. You work from home half the time. Our services are in hybrid mode. If we went back and trace the genesis of this, much has changed. And how much has it changed in our homes? It has even changed for my dog, my pet dog called Polo. Previously, when we wanted to take it for a walk, I would just say, let's go for a walk, 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 right? And I'll take the dog leash and click it. The moment he hears the click, he knows he's going for a walk. But now with almost back-on-back -back Zoom meetings, especially at nights, right? Into the nights, back-on-back, -back, sometimes two meetings, sometimes three meetings. And, and usually we'll end the meeting, the Zoom meeting by, good night! And see you again. The moment he hears good night, he stands up. It's no walk, walk. <laughs> so the new normal for him is good night. <laughs> he hears good night and goodbye till I see you again. He's up. He's ready to go for his walk. So life has even changed for our pets. And somebody send this along. Hopefully I can get it. Right? So English. When I'm staying at home in the past three months due to COVID, for the dog, dog theology and dog psychology is this. He loves me more than ever. He's staying home. But for the cat, I wonder why he's home so much. Must have lost his job. Because cats are not very friendly in that way. They are more autonomous, more independent. So is there a new normal even for our pets? But more seriously, new normal, old normalities. COVID has hit us. It's one and a half years now. And one of the early stories that we heard, that people didn't quite believe that this was a, a virus that was infectious, a virus that was, that was fatal. And a whole family, seven of them, I think, died. And the last words of the one who passed away was, please tell everyone, though the virus is unseen, it's not unreal. Though the virus is unseen, it's not unreal. 
And I just want to pick that up in terms of the new normal. The new normal in Christian terms, in biblical terms, in gospel terms, is God has sent Jesus to announce what? Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. And what has the coming of Jesus done in the last 2,000 years when he first came? He's put you and me on notice that the kingdom of self is tottering and on his last licks. You ruling your own life, you living your own life without God, me living my own life without God, is on his last licks. Jesus has put the whole universe and put the whole world and put Lak Yong and Kenneth and myself and everyone here on notice you better believe that he is the Messiah who has come to usher in the NH. So what has changed, what is not? How seriously do we take this? Take what? How seriously do we take things? How seriously do you take Jesus? How do you measure that? That this is a new normality, the whole universe, but the death and resurrection ascension of Jesus is now under new management. How seriously do you live with that from day to day, from moment to moment, from experience to experience? How seriously we take Jesus is premised on a bigger question. What is it that Jesus himself took seriously? And what is it that Jesus take, took seriously in his life? There are many passages that will take you to this. But one key passage is what we just read snippets of. That's John 13 to 17, what we call the final farewell, the, the final discourse of Jesus before he headed to the cross. And so, of course, we can't run to five chapters, John 13 to 17, but what's the trust of it? In John 13, he washes the disciples' feet. And what's that a picture of? That was just a small picture of who he was as, as God's chosen Messiah. The washing of disciples' feet, that the Messiah would come as a humble king, serving us, and it became a small parable, a small window of what he would do when he laid down his life on the cross. And then Jesus promises the person of the Holy Spirit. He's sent by God to usher in this thing called the kingdom of God. But after he dies, he will return to the Father and the Spirit of God will continue his work until Jesus returns in glory. And Jesus tells the disciples, and indeed us, as he's absent from us temporarily, and 2,000 years is temporary, before the permanence of eternity, what is 2,000 years in the light of eternity? Nothing. While we wait for His glorious return, we have to abide in His love and in His Word. The two things that we must abide in. If we don't abide in His love and His Word, we will never go forth to bear true fruit to God's glory for all eternity. And then He expands that teaching. The Spirit continues Jesus' work. And in John 17 that we read is Jesus' high priestly prayer. When you pull it all together, when people say goodbye, they say the most profound things. Like the person who died in the family of seven in America, please tell them that we took it too lightly here in America. We thought this was a nothing infection, but please tell them unseen doesn't mean unreal. 
it has killed six of us and I'm next to go in ICU. And so, what are the main messages in Jesus' farewell speech? He warns us of God's unchanging enemy. And if God has an arch enemy, God's arch enemy is also our arch enemy. And then Jesus gives the unchanging commandment. And then Jesus will speak of the unchanging mission. And this is what, no matter what comes upon us, whatever is the new normality from this pandemic, three things remain unchanged. Unchanging enemy, unchanging command, and unchanging mission. So we're going to trace this so that your life and my life, whether we live now in virtuality or half-breed, hybrid, we still have to get serious about these things. And what is it we need to get serious about? In John 13, it begins this way. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, his hour had come to depart, depart this world to the Father and return to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Could it mean that he loved them to the end of his life? Sometimes you and me run short of love and that's why divorces happen. I've stopped loving my husband a long time ago. I've stopped loving my wife a long time ago, you may say. But Jesus, what defines his life is he loved them to the end. But this is the first thing I wanted you to notice. That during this Last Supper, when the devil had put already, already put into the heart of Judas, Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and it come from the Father, was going back to him, rose from the supper, and you read the account. He rose from the supper, he got a basin of water, he got the towel, wrapped him up, and then started to wash the disciples' feet. I want you to take note that Jesus himself took Satan seriously. That he knew, that he knew that what was happening in Judas's heart was not simply something happening in Judas's heart that there was another player in the affairs of the universe. There was another unseen but not unreal being. And the unseen and not unreal being is the person called the devil. And then it goes on. In John 17, by the end of this, by the time he closes with the high priestly prayer for the disciples, notice this is what he says. Our Lord Jesus I do not ask that you take them out of the world. So Jesus has left us here. He left us here for a purpose, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, not just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. From the starting of this farewell discourse to the ending of this farewell discourse, which finds Jesus praying for the disciples and praying for all who will believe to the disciples. Did you notice? He red flagged who? He red flagged the being of the devil. And so Jesus took Satan seriously. Who else took Jesus seriously? All the apostles took Satan seriously. And how serious were the disciples about Satan? The apostles about Satan, Paul in Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. Peter in 1 Peter 5, 8 to 9. You should have learned that if you are members of ARPC, regulars of ARPC. 
And can I challenge you to give that verse to me in memory? Never mind, we'll read it. Then Apostle John in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, and James in chapter 4, which means that every single apostle who wrote the epistles, because they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, took God's arch enemy seriously. And why is this important as I run through the verses for us? You may want to read with me, whether you're online or on-site. Ephesians 6, together, put on the full armour of God so they can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So here is Paul. He actually begins this portion is finally, and the word finally means last but not least. I'm speaking about the devil last, but he's not the least important. I spoke about God first and every spiritual blessings, but please take note. Every blessing you have in Christ, Satan will try to undo. And he goes on to Peter. This is the memory verse or verses you should have. And you can, because you have memorized it as my members and brothers and sisters in Christ, you can close your eyes and speak this to me. <laughs> be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And so, we got to be alert, sober, against the evil one. Apostle John and Satan, together, let's read, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. A very quick survey to the life of Jesus, who has come to fulfill God's purpose and usher in the kingdom. And you need to ask yourself as you listen to this, if Jesus and apostles and the early Christians were serious about the being of Satan and his many schemes, plural, not one singular scheme, not one arrow to fire at you, how serious are you and I as 21st century Christians here living in Singapore, they're living in New York, they're living in Shanghai. How serious are you about Satan being the arch enemy of Christ and the church? So how serious are you about being sober and alert, watchful, that you are dead set against Satan? You know what dead set is? Because Satan is dead set against you. And I just spoke to our basic youth leaders this morning. There's an English phrase, no? If you wrong each other in, uh, among yourselves as English, very gentlemanly way to, to solve it, you, you challenge each other to a sword battle. And then came pistols. You challenge yourself, challenge each other. If you wrong each other to a pistol and uh, 100 feet away, you do that. And you know what they always say before that battle? No quarter will be given and no quarter will be taken. In Singlish, bopan chance. No handicap. This is all-out warfare. You think Satan looks at your life, right? looks into your marriages and your families and say, today I'll give CH a break. Today I'll give Lak Yong a break because he's worked so hard in preaching the gospel. No quarter will be given and no quarter will be taken. Be dead set against Satan because he's dead set against you. 
Do you believe that? You better believe it. And the only thing we have against Him is the full armor of God and to be prayerful against Him. And when you're prayerful against the devil, you are able to discern this is surely a work of the devil. This is surely a word from the devil. It's not from God. This is surely a mess he is leaving behind in my life. And be in fellowship. I need you to pray for me to stand against the evil one. Amen? You need me to pray for you to stand against the evil one. We need each other's fellowship. That's how Peter ended. You have to watch out for each other. Not just you watch out against him, but you've got to watch out for each other. So there was a right prayer to pray. For what? There's not just one group of suffering Christians in the world, the Afghani Christians. They are. But there are many Christians who are suffering. You just have to Google the right websites to know and make it part of your prayer life. For about 10 years, in all our discipleship groups, we used to put in there Operation World and make sure that you pray to the countries and to know what was happening in each country from Afghanistan to America to Australia, from Bhutan to Mongolia, to know what's happening in Indonesia, what's happening in Malaysia. How serious are we about God? C.S. Lewis, literary genius in the 1940s, together with Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien. And why were they literary geniuses? They were not just literary geniuses. They were good Christian men raised by God. You know when Tolkien wrote The Lord of the Rings? And if you ever read The Lord of the Rings and you watch the movie The Lord of the Rings, what is it about? Good versus evil on a mega scale. Huge mega scale. And when did they write it? They wrote it as Hitler and Nazism was on the rise in Europe. And nations were turning inwards to look after themselves. No, no idea of globalization. And J.R.R. Tolkien would say, you could see the storm clouds coming. They wrote those books prefiguring World War II that came upon the world. So, right, C.S. Lewis wrote this, the Screwtape Letters, and Screwtape is the older demon telling the younger demon, teaching the younger demon, Wormwood, how to play in our lives how to mess up our minds and our words and our relationships. And there's a classic, I've quoted it, and I'll quote it again and again. Right. And so, Screwtape has just found out from Wormwood that his victim, let's say Wormwood, is assigned to work on one of us. Work on Lipting, who's here. Work on me, who's here. Your victim has been converted. My goodness, how could you let this happen? Right? You're supposed to watch that he never believes in God by believing in Jesus, but you slipped. Okay, you're a younger demon, but don't worry, says the older demon. All the habits of your patient, both mental and bodily, are still in our favour. Do you know the seriousness, the gravity of that statement? There's a difference between a point of conversion and your pilgrimage on conversion. And you and me are a series of habits. And Satan knows how to pounce on habits. Don't worry. He heard the gospel yesterday in church, in chapel. He heard the gospel over coffee 
He gave his life to Christ. He prayed the sinner's prayer. Not that the sinner's prayer makes you a Christian. It's Jesus who makes you a Christian. The sinner's prayer is one way to believe in Jesus. But don't forget, don't worry. This fellow that just converted has been a, a he's just accumulation of sinful habits and it takes forever to break those habits. And friends, do you believe that is that how Satan works? How does Satan work? He will work on those habits again and again to tell you that believing in Christ makes no difference to your life. And so there's another quote that he has in the screw tip letters that I'm going to use later on. And what is it? You've got to hold on to this. So the unchanging arch enemy that we have is actually Satan. You believe that? Over the past week, if you cast an eye over the past week, in what way may you have fallen prey to Satan's temptations, seductions, accusations, condemnation? Each one of those terms are different. To Satan's temptations, to Satan's seductions, to Satan's accusation, and finally, condemnation. There is no hope for you. You will never change. Which one? Could you have discerned that? The next thing to take note is God's unchanging commandment. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this shall all men, know, all people know, you are my disciples, if you love for one another. John 13, 34, which is a memory verse for many people. If you read this, this is John 13, how he started the farewell discourse. So he will go in warning about Judas, right? And then he will end with this, this new commandment. If you read John's Gospel, from chapters 1 to 12, the word love appears six times. But from John 13 to John 21, the word, from, the word love will now be used by Jesus as he heads towards the cross, you guess, 31 times. Which, tell you, which tells you that if you know nothing about the person and the work of Jesus, it's all about sacrificial love, atoning love, redeeming love, I for you love. That is Jesus, firstly displayed in Him washing the feet of disciples and finally fulfilled in Him shedding, giving His life for us. And so God's unchanging commandment. And where do we read this? Where do we read this again? We saw this again in First Peter, but before we arrive. And so in the new normal that we're in, I do not know the early days in which we went into Circuit Breaker. Can we recall about a year ago when we went to Circuit Breaker in April 2020? How excited you were to join the services. I'm presuming you were excited. Lah. I'm just presuming. But I think many of us were. That we're going to hear the servants online. Right? And you all sat down 5 o'clock just waiting for the countdown, countdown. Bang, you watched. You watch with your wife, watch your, with your husband, you watch with your children. 9 a.m., you watch it together. Today, one and a half years later, right, what kind of worshippers have we become? Pre-COVID, 
at least in body, you had to wake, you had to get ready one hour before time, catch the bus, catch the train, drive a car, get a whole church. There's some effort. All that is, is love in action. Love is a bit inconvenient, a bit hot under the collar. And if you, if you worship here at ARPC at Adam, you have to park at Acadia. And that's your longest persecution, I mean your longest fitness walk. But now, what kind of worshippers are we producing after one and a half years? Globally, this is the case. We're producing increasing consumerist worshippers. Consumerist worshippers, own time, own target. Worship on own demand. I feel like it, I watch. I don't feel like it, I don't watch. Right? And so, own time, own target. And uh, what happens, uh, we are now late worshippers. Last time was late on site, but now just late in your own house. We are now producing a whole generation of slouchers and grouches. I don't like the song. So the word I learned from our tech people, they do surveys on this, you know. Right? So if you fast forward, we know you fast forward. <laughs> we call that scrubbing. You scrub the video. Then we realise lots of our fellows around the world, and ARPC included, scrub the singing. Go straight to the sermon. All the preachers feel good. <laughs> but you scrub that video today for this service, you would have missed the seven-minute presentation of our children who put in so much effort, you know, for the kids to rehearse that in front of the thing, the parents must have done, again, again. Do you know you're my son? You know you're my daughter? Cannot be like that. One more time. <laughs> 25 hours to do that song, example. That's what it took our musicians to produce a music video. And you and I have become unintentionally or more intentionally now consumerist worshippers. There is no need to exercise love. I just go get what I want. If I don't get what I want, I go to another website. In real life, even though I'm talking to you, you don't love what I say, your husband or wife is talking to you, your child is talking to you, you don't scrub them, scrub. Fast forward. Love needs to be patient. Love is kind. We have forgotten what love is. And I worry about our silo worship and our solo worship. There is now a pandemic of aloneness and a pandemic of loneliness. So when Jesus preaches about love, and it's 31 times before he heads to the cross, firstly seen in, the seen in him doing that, washing the disciples' feet, I think many of us have no idea what it means to truly love people anymore. We are perhaps the only country in the world that has to launch a campaign and impose a hefty fine for people to put back their trays at a food court, at a hawker centre. In many other countries, there may be a certain amount of civic-mindedness that I came to eat here, I can take this away. But how many campaigns have we had? Then we need how many national discourses to debate whether we should do this? And who on earth came up with this silly idea of finding people? I want to say to you, whoever came up with it is not popular. But it has to be done because it's now COVID-19. We pray and we wish that love was an instinct. 
or your first nature in life, thinking about the good of your neighbour. But love is your furthest instinct. And so to encourage you, please do not wait too long sitting in the comforts of your home, being that silo solo worshipper who is now a sloucher and a groucher and a fast forwarder, which we keep in touch with. And any pastor worth his way might be willing and daring to say that to you. It's inconvenient. I thank God for the parents who brought their children. You want to give the children a big clap? Yeah. It's not easy. Right? And we mustn't think that children are a distraction here. Children are part of the church. Right? Love is inconvenient. Love copes with noises and smells and things that you, you have to stretch like a rubber band. But we are no longer stretching love. Self-love has increased a lot. That's my worry for us in the new normal. We've got to get back to the old normal, Jesus' love, the eternal normal. And where, what do we learn in 1 Peter chapter 2? Memory verses. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants long for the spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up in salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And these are the things he just said in 122. He says, you are to love each other with a sincere, brotherly love, because you've been born again by the living and enduring Word of God. 122, memory verse, remember? And then few verses down here, he says, for you to love each other, you've got to get, get rid of all the barriers to love, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. That's so important for us, our fr friends. And so beware slow and subtle unlove. And you must never underestimate delayed passions, derail ambition. If in a day somebody derails something that you wanted to do, you get a bit hot under the collar. And if you haven't watched the Equip conference last night, we played a video of Trifina. Struggle with same-sex attraction, right? hid it under ministry for many years, fell in love and read portions of the Bible, except they read selective portions of the Bible. They fell in love in Bible college and they knew in their hearts that their love for each other in the same gender was not a love that God had ordained, always pleased with. But they didn't want to read those chapters, so they read selectively. They were not reading the pure Word of God, the pure spiritual milk that would cause them to grow up in salvation. Then finally, when that relationship was dropped, she went into 10 years of what? 10 years of, of being bitter against God. 10 years of slow retaliation of, against God. Any, anyone I wanted to fall in love with, anyone I wanted to start a relationship with, I did. 10 years out in the wilderness. And basically, as she went on that spell, right, she's, I just quote from her, hurt people, hurt others. And she has been hurt by her father, hurt by her mother, hurt by those people who supposed to love her long term but drop her and said to her she wasn't man enough for this lesbian relationship. And by the grace of God, after 10 years of slow and slow burn, retaliation against God, unlove, God finally broke through her life. She now runs a ministry called PLUC, Pursuing Liberty Under Christ. 
pursuing liberty under Christ, PLUC, because she was pursuing liberty under self. And it was a nightmare. What Jesus came to give us, redeeming love, atoning love, is the thing that you must never, never forget. No matter what age you live it. And so, in terms of love, spiritual warfare and spiritual habits, I said I'll come back to this. Satan's work is to keep us disenchanted with each other. That's why the warning to get rid of all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, even among God's people. Get rid of that among yourselves. But we keep normalizing the anticlimax between Jesus and church. I love Jesus, but I just don't like Christians. A true child of God cannot say that. You can't love Christ and hate fellow Christians. The two things don't go together. It's a work of the devil. You can't be reading God's word and demonizing a brother or sister in Christ in your heart. It's not something from God. It's not the pure spiritual milk. You're just finding the Bible passages to demonize somebody. And what is it that Satan keeps working on? That's what I wanted to show you. This is from C.S. Lewis. The great spiritual giants and the great literary geniuses who do what? I can see storm clouds coming. It's World War II. But beyond World War II, I can see storm clouds in our own British families here. When two human beings have lived together for many years and each has tones of voice, expressions of face, which almost unendurably irritating. You find your husband irritating? If you're honest, yes. You find your wife irritating? You find your father irritating? All teenagers, yes. You find your brother irritating? Yes. And you think that day-to-day, daily pinpricks, is this normal? He has discerned it as Satan will work on this. He will work on this so that you have rationalized bitterness against somebody. You have learned to rationalize it. That is not love, friends. It's Satan working in overtime and overdrive. And the final portion, not just God's unchanging archenemy that you should be discerning and standing against, not just God's unchanging commandment to love each other and to get rid of everything that stands in the way of love, but God's unchanging mission. Thus it is written, that Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning with Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So you choose your Bible passages. Whether it's Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, the Great Commission. The two unchangeable things are the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. The Great Commission without the Great Commandment to love is empty of witness. The great commandment without the great commission to go is selfish because I never want to share the love of Christ. I'm just concerned about my own salvation. The two things must never be decoupled from one another. So how serious are you about sins? If Jesus came, it was for the forgiveness of sins. How serious are you about heart sins? Out of a man's heart come all kinds of evil, Jesus said. How serious are you about relational sins? And we just saw that in 1 Peter. Malice is a relational sin. Deceit is a relational sin. Hypocrisy is a relational sin. 
sexual sins. Big time, we're addressing it with identity and sexuality in our equipped conference. And so you've got to know what you're vulnerable. Some of us are more, more vulnerable to certain things. Some of us are more vulnerable in different areas. So parents are sharing. The couple went out and in leaving their two young children, I hope I got the recollection correct, they said to them certain things they must do, certain things they mustn't do, and then they're supposed to go to sleep by a certain time. So I do not know whether the son called the mother while they were still out or after they came back. And the son actually fronted up to the mother and said, I, I, I just wanted to say, when you were out, I watched useless videos. Young boy. <laughs> and what were useless videos? And now that I said that to you, mum, I feel so much better. I can sleep now. What was this young boy saying to his parents who had gone out for the night? What you told me, I learned in hindsight to be serious about. He's learned to be serious about lying. He was supposed to go to sleep by a certain time. And then when we see a child do that, we all clap. But how serious are you as an adult about sin? Relational sins, heart sins, sexual sins. If we listen to Sam Aubrey, he said this, what? Our moral intuitions have changed. Our view of sex has changed. Our identity has changed. And moral intuitions have changed. Why is it that we Christians hold fast to God or God hold fast to us and say that marriage equality is not part of God's design? Why? And for us to stand against marriage equality for same-sex attracted people makes us unloving, now makes us unethical and makes us plain dangerous to the world out there. We thought the world was dangerous to us, but now we are portrayed as dangerous to the world. What a flip from Satan. If you read John 13 to 17, the world will hate you because of me. Right? We are dangerous, considered dangerous. Our view of sex has changed from procreation to now recreation. There is no more fulfilling, I'll just give up on this relationship and move on and steamroll to another one-night stand. Our identity has changed. And he quoted, watch the Disney movies. The heroes in all the Disney movies now are those who are true to their, their inner self. The hero discovers their inner self and true to their inner self. It's no longer the hero is true to God. This is the way God made me. The messages are subtle, but the messages are powerful, friends. So how serious are we about sin in our life? Important things. But as time races on, I'll take you to the end. Right? And what is it? Satan's work, if you read Revelation 13, his number is 666. And Satan's main work is domination by imitation. With persecution, there are four main tools he will come against you. He'll make fear more real than faith. And that's why you'll give up. He'll make, with seduction, he'll make pleasure more real than purity. With confusion, he'll make your idolatries more real than God. Right now, the isms of this world, the humanisms of this world are better. And division, he'll make your self-righteousness more real than being right with each other, than love. And why does Satan do all this? And what 666 is one shot of perfection. He does this imitation by imita domination by imitation for one simple purpose. It is to make life in Babylon 
more attractive than Jerusalem. And all the time he's making life in Babylon more real or attractive than Jerusalem. This persecution is more real. Give up on this thing called heaven. The living hope that you have. What living hope? All I know is they're coming for my family. I'm going to give up on this living hope or else I'll be a dead carcass or a dead martyr. He will make Babylon seem more real than Jerusalem. And ultimately he does that to snatch glory away from God. So in what ways are you dominated by imitation? Where fear has become more real in your life in the last one and a half years than faith. That you are fearful and more worried than you are prayerful and claiming God's word. Where pleasure is more real than purity, where idolatry is more real than God, where self-righteousness is more real than being right with each other in your relationships. That's how he dominates you. And these three things must remain unchanged. There's a mission here, friends, that you and me have a mission to tell the world we are now living under Satan who works on our sin and we do well to believe in Jesus to knock back Satan in our lives. So, how does it end? When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh and to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. And what is eternal life? Not unending life. Eternal life is not the quantity of time, but the quality of relationship that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. If you do not know Christ, friends, you do not have life with a capital L. You may have a lifestyle, but no life. And so our theme for the year is back to basics, back to Jesus. New habits, new identity, new habits. And I've just spoken to the youth. I speak to you now as my adult congregation. How serious are you about Jesus comes down to your communion time, your devotion time, your prayer time with God, that you have to set a non-negotiable date with your Saviour regularly. Is once a day too much? 15 minutes a day to read His Word, pray to Him, unload your heart, clear, clear the decks of your temptations, clear the decks of your failures, set a date for spiritual reality, set a date for spiritual warfare, set a date with God for spiritual disciplines and habits then by the grace of God, by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God under Jesus, set a deadline to sin. I don't want to repeat this malice, Lord. I do not want to repeat this cheating with my eyes, Lord. I do not want to repeat this envy against my brother. How could I be envious against my brother that I grew up with? How could I? Set a deadline for sin. And set a date to meet with God once a day. Once a week, go for a retreat, walk somewhere, show you some videos, get out there, speak your heart to God, fall on your knees and set a date for the exchange of glory, your glory which must die and download God's glory to you in Christ Jesus. It's there in your handbook. Where? It's there in your handbook on page four. And that is step number one. 
unless each and all of us increasingly get serious in our walk with God. New identity, new habits. And this is our new normal. Unchanging, unchanging. We will never be a church on fire for God. For when God changes the person, the individual, He changes the family. When He changes the family, He changes the church. When He changes the church, we change our nation. We change the world. Are you going to take this seriously? I pray so. I've told you stories in different mutations about this. And I just went to a, a brother's house and his life spun out of control when divorce happened. And divorce has been his new normal for 20 over years now. Hardly recovered from it. And when he's by himself, it's just darkness and hopelessness. He just rang me out of the blue and said, got time, got time? I said, okay, I'll make time. I actually didn't have much time that day. But I zoomed down and just had a meal with him. And he said something that you might hear somewhere in your life. When I'm by myself, right, just thinking about my normal, and my normal has been like that, broken and no repair in sight. It's dark and hopeless. But whenever you come, there's hope, there's light. And that's not a statement of me, Christian. That's a statement of every single one of you who believes in Jesus. That you can carry the gospel into people's lives. A word on the phone, a quick lunch, a quick dinner, a quick catch-up, and you bring hope for people to keep going with new identity, new habits, and you knock back Satan, knock back Satan's kingdom that tells this man and tells a lot of people, it's, it's useless. Take your life. Take your life. From young to old, you know suicide ideation is a huge thing now. Jesus came to give us life. He didn't come to take our life. Satan is the one who destroys our life. Keep these things and we'll be on our way for God's glory. If you're here, you want to stand, we pray, we sing the closing song. O Church of God, arise. No matter what changes we face in this world, we know all has come from your hand. And sometimes in a new normal, instead of slipping into deeper relationship and godliness, we slip further in our life from you. We slip further in our life from each other. We slip further in our life from the unchanging things that we must be concerned about. Maybe some of us have let down our guard about our unchanging enemy, the evil one, to the detriment of our own life. Maybe some of us have let down our guard on your unchanging commandment to love one another. Maybe some of us have let down our guard on an unchanging mission to bring this glorious gospel to family and friends. We ask always for confession. We ask always for repentance and a new beginning so that we may arise together in fellowship, in unison, to finish your work that you may be glorified forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.